Hi, my name is Christy, and this podcast is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, and relationships from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Now let's dive right in. Good morning, ladies, and welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast, where we gain practical life wisdom and learn to trust our futures to a sovereign and good God. And that is the topic of today's episode, God's Sovereignty. And we're going to talk about how that attribute affects our lives here and now. It impacts so many areas, um, how we pray for a husband, how we view past mistakes in life, and how we view the future. I've invited Jennifer Jolly on the podcast today to share her study on this topic. And if you need some soul comfort food today, you will get it from this episode. But before I share our conversation with you all, I'm going to invite you to share what you think of this podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast. And thank you in advance for doing that. And now here's my conversation with Jennifer Jolly on God's sovereignty. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being willing to sit down with me and talk about a very big, important topic. And I just thought it would be fun to share with the listeners also how we met, which was through email. You actually emailed me a few months ago and just told me that you were encouraged by the podcast. And so we struck up a email friendship and then just hearing your heart expressed and how much you encouraged me in my singleness. I knew you were just a really good fit to come on the podcast and share your wisdom, your life experience, and just your knowledge of God's word because you are a student of the word and it comes through very evidently in all of our communication. So before we jump in, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so quickly about me, I was a, I grew up as a missionary kid in Guatemala, moved to the States to go to Indiana University. After graduating, lived in San Francisco for a while, then moved to North Carolina. So moved around a little bit. And then in North Carolina, I met the man who is now my husband, got married when I, in 2015. And just last year in September, we moved to Alaska. So it's kind of been crazy times the last year or so, what with COVID and Alaska and just making that transition because who knew that a girl who grew up in Guatemala would love living so high up in the world so far north. But yeah, as Christy mentioned, you know, I really do love the word and I was single for a long time myself, didn't get married till I was 29. I know other women are single for longer, but I just remember when I was single, I was so hungry for encouragement and not the kind of like, oh, you're going to get married someday. Like, <laughs> I, I wanted just encouragement in being a single woman of God. So that's why I really appreciated the podcast, Christy, and, and why I ended up emailing her because I wanted her to know. Well, I appreciated it so much. And the topic that you actually voted on, you threw it out to me because you felt like it was something that 
was really pivotal and important to understand in your own life when you were single. And that's God's sovereignty. And it affects so many decisions that we make, how we live our lives. And also, if you're fearful, anxious, or worried about your life, a right understanding of God's sovereignty is really going to change all of that. So we have really practical questions about how God's sovereignty affects our lives. But first, I would love for you to share what is God's sovereignty? Yeah, so God's sovereignty is one of my favorite topics. And it really was something that truly encouraged me when I was single and still encourages me now. It's it's something that I really lean into. So the reason why I love the topic is because God's sovereignty is what makes him God. It's it's the Godhood of God. So it, it's setting him above all else. It's his majesty and his glory. And I mean, it just, it, in me, it, it raises up a need to, to worship him as God. But of course, so that's how I think of it. But we should always turn to scripture. And scripture is so full of God's sovereignty. You're probably not going to find the word there. So if you do a word search in scripture, it's not going to come up really. But it's, the concept is just woven throughout the Bible. So I've pulled a few verses So the first one is Deuteronomy 32, 39, and this is God speaking. So he says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 115, verse three says, our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. In Isaiah 46, again, this is God speaking. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. In Lamentations 3, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, it says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? So you can just see just those few verses. It's putting God above all else. It's making him ruler of all. And it's God telling us about himself, that that he is sovereign. What he wants to accomplish, he will accomplish. Now, um, A.W. Pink, if you're familiar with him, He wrote a book called The Sovereignty of God. So it's a whole book about the topic, and we are not going to cover everything that he covers in that book. Um, But he has a really good definition. So let me just read what he says, just a short piece from his book. He says, the sovereignty of God. What do we mean by this expression? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, so that none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. And I just listened to that and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, this is a big God. So 
all of that to kind of try to get to the definition of what is the sovereignty of God. But it just makes me sit back and really, you know, worship God. And he's an amazing God. He's big God. And it's so important in this, in our society, in our lives to know that God has not abdicated his throne. He is still ruling and powerful. And to understand God's sovereignty and to have it bring comfort to a believer, I think it goes hand in hand with his other attributes to believe that God is all powerful and all sovereign. But if he wasn't loving and merciful, then that would make us very fearful. But the fact that God is loving, that he proved his love to us, he didn't just tell us he died for our sins on the cross. And I think that's where God's providence comes in another similar word. So how does understanding God's providence help us think of God's sovereignty? Yeah. So for me, God's providence falls under the umbrella of his sovereignty and it's understanding his sovereignty helps us understand his providence. So simply put, God's providence is essentially God's intimate involvement in all of life in providing for his church and his people. And this we get from Romans 8, 28, the verse that everyone quotes, probably without thinking about context. Um, But it's the verse that says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God causes all things to work together for good. That's his providence. So the first time that we see providence in scripture is in the story of Abraham when he takes Isaac and God has told him to sacrifice Isaac. We know from the story as they're walking along, going to the place where he was going to do the sacrifice, Isaac asks him, you know, where's where's the sheep that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. So that is in essence, you know, God's provision. And we see later on that God does provide a lamb or a sheep. Things get a little desperate, but God comes through and he provides a lamb so that Isaac doesn't have to be sacrificed. So that that is providence. J.I. Packer, I was reading some stuff from him, and he says, the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces like fortune, chance, luck, fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. So again, going back to Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Amen. And I love how you brought it down. The providence deals also with the details of our life. I have a quote here by Spurgeon. He said, while it certainly doth control the massive orbs that shine in heaven, it doth not blush to deal with the drop that trickleth from the eye. Your very hairs are all numbered. And how, like you said, it, it, there's God has a plan for every detail, every event of our lives. And another thing that Spurgeon said was, fate is blind, but providence has eyes. There is a design in everything and an end to be answered. All things are working together and working together for good. They are not done because they must be done, but they are done because there is some reason for it. And just what a powerful thought that 
all the little details of our lives. God is masterfully weaving and orchestrating together for a grand plan. And we get to be a part of that is just mind boggling. Yeah. And, and I always remember in those times, because sometimes we go through things and we're like, why is this happening? What on earth is God doing? And I remember that verse from Isaiah. I love so much. It says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So we have to trust, you know, God in his sovereignty, in his omniscience, you know, he knows it all. He's got the big picture. We see such a small portion. And so we have to choose to trust him when we don't like our circumstances. We don't like what's going on. We have to choose to trust him and say, you know, God is good. I've got to trust that verse in Romans that says God is working all things for good. And I may not think it's good, but God is good. And I have to trust that what's going on right now is it's in God's plan and and he will use it however he sees fit. So how does understanding God's sovereignty affect my life right now? Why is it important for me to understand this, to grasp this today? I love that question. Because, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road. (laughs) It's the real deal. Yeah. So understanding God's sovereignty, I mean, first of all, it should, it should humble our hearts because we're looking toward God and saying, wow, God, you're, you're big, you're majestic. You're the King, the Lord of Lords. So it it causes us to approach him with the humility that is right, um, which also gives us hearts of worship. You know. God being God, and this is what makes him worthy of worship. Sovereignty is what makes him worthy of all our praise and adoration. And so it should give us hearts of worship. I mean, to be honest, in in looking over this topic over the last week or so and praying about it and reading about it, there have been times I've just had to stop and say, you know, God is amazing and, and sing like a worship song and whatnot. But it really did. It turned my heart toward worshiping him. And also God's sovereignty as believers, it should cause us to rest, to take comfort in knowing that, yeah, the world is crazy nuts right now, but God's got it in his hand. You know, it goes back to that that song we sang as kids, he's got the whole world in his hands. That is so true. That hasn't changed, even though it seems like everything's falling to pieces. And so we can draw a lot of comfort from that. So now getting even more practical, now that we know what God's sovereignty is, his providence is, we're resting in that. How does that change how I pray for a husband, how I look for a husband? Where does that uh, rubber meet the road practical wisdom come into play? Yeah. Well, first of all, let's talk about prayer because that is an extremely important part of a believer's life. And Some people can look at sovereignty and say, oh, you know, if God's got it all planned out, he knows what's going on, well, why why should I pray? But we have to remember that prayer turns our heart to God. It it reminds us that we are dependent on him and and he's that he provides everything. You know, we we have nothing that he hasn't provided. So praying for a husband. It's a good thing to do. You know, we're looking to him. We're trusting him that, you know, it may seem right now that you have no idea where a man could even possibly come from that's worth marrying. (laughs) I know I had those feelings and I thought, you know, God, 
I don't know what you're doing, but you're definitely going to have to bring a man in my life because there is no one right now. And it, it did just, it caused me to trust him. It caused me to remember that God knows what I need and he knows when I need it. So very often when I would go to prayer about this, I would end up in that place where I'd be reminding myself, God knows what I need. He knows when I need it. I may think I know what's best, but God knows what's best. And so for me, prayer brought me back to that place. It, it put my focus in the right place. It put my eyes on God instead of on myself. And I know for single women, we, we very often have that desire of like, I just, I want that intimate relationship. I want to be a wife. I want to be a mother. Those are good and natural desires. But in prayer, we have to give those over to God. Again, remembering he works all things for good and remembering that he provides and he knows what we need. So prayer is, for me, it was really central to just keeping my feet grounded in the right place and not going off in desperation, which I've seen a lot of women who they just, you know, they think this is my last chance. I need this. I need to go out and, and they try to manipulate circumstances and they reach out in desperation. And, and that's just not the right place to be. That is not trusting in God's sovereignty. So in trusting for God's sovereignty, you know, you, you do have responsibility. You know, you can't just hide away in your bedroom being like, some Prince Charming is going to knock on my door someday. Like that's, no, it's not really going to happen. <laughs> Sorry to burst some bubbles out there. But yeah, so it, trusting in God's sovereignty is you're, you're moving through life with your goal of looking toward God and being the godly woman that he has called you to be that you see in scripture. I think a good question to ask when we're talking about praying is, is it wrong to pray repeatedly for God to bring a husband into your life? And maybe you feel that if you pray repeatedly for this desire, that this would be a sign of discontent with your present circumstances. But I would like to address that fear and say that God gives us many examples of praying fervently and repeatedly for good God-given desires. I think of the parable of the man who has a friend visit him in the middle of the night, and he goes to his neighbor to get bread to feed his friend. And the man finally gets out of bed to give his neighbor bread because of his persistence. And that is a parable about prayer. Another example is when David prayed for the life of his son to be spared, even though God had already given the judgment. He accepted God's sovereignty when the child died, but while there was the possibility of a different outcome, he did pray fervently. And another example, there's so many in scripture, but another one is Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. And it says, she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, Lord of armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your bondservant and remember me and not forget your bondservant, but will give your bondservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come to his head. And it says that she 
uh, continued to pray before the Lord for that desire. And when Eli asked and thought that she might have been drunk because he saw her lips moving, she said, No, my Lord, I am a woman despairing in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord, and I have brought my great concern and provocation. Eli said, Go in peace, and may the Lord The God of Israel, grant your request that you have asked of him. And you know the rest of the story. She did indeed have a son, and his name was Samuel, and she did dedicate him to the Lord. But what is really interesting about that story is that she was willing to give God's gift of a son back to the Lord, and her prayer to the Lord is a good example of worship and appeal to God's goodness and ability to rescue. So this is not a a symptom of discontentment when you're praying repeatedly, but it's rather a sign of trust in the Lord and dependence on Him to work and move in your life. When we're talking about praying for a husband, this is an area of life where in many cases you can't do anything more on your side of the equation to help bring this along. But you just have to acknowledge that you are waiting on the Lord to act. So praying is aligning your desires to God's timing. He doesn't need us to pray, but he does know that we need it. And that's why he gave it to us. And also, you know, I believe prayers for marriage should be centered on how this gift would be used for God's glory through our lives It helps us to seek marriage not as a fix for loneliness or satisfaction of desires, but rather as a good gift that may include those things, but is ultimately focused on helping us maximize our usefulness for the Lord. And that also, that attitude is going to help us accept a no answer for any duration of time because we realize that God is saying that we can serve Him best as a single person at this point in our lives. So in conclusion, I would just encourage the ladies listening, if you desire to get married, then you should be praying for a godly husband. This honors the Lord. Don't just say it'll happen if it will happen and leave it at that. Uh, That would actually be a misplaced response to God's sovereignty but God gave us prayer and we should use it. As I mentioned earlier, you know, it really helped to to get my eyes off of myself and looking toward God. And that's just so important because I think for single women, some of the pitfalls we can fall into is it can be self-pity. It can be, you know, poor me. I don't have a man. I don't have a relationship. I don't have, you know, children, et cetera. Um, and, and prayer helps you look away from that and look toward God and to remember, and I feel like I've said this a lot, but to remember that he knows what we need and when we need it. He knows that so much better than us. So prayer is a good refocusing of where our perspective needs to be and where our sight needs to be looking. Yeah, not a, not a complaining type of prayer, but a worshipful prayer. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of the verse in Philippians that talks about prayer, present all your prayers with thanksgiving. That's a good one to remember. Yes. So on the flip side of that question, 
So once we're praying, how does it practically affect understanding God's sovereignty? How does that practically affect how we interact with the men in our lives? And I don't like to use that term search for a husband, but I guess there's really no other way of saying it. So, <laughs> Well, I would say that the the best way that kind of all comes together is praying that God would help you to recognize a good godly man when he comes along and that when he does come along praying for patience because let me tell you you're going to need some patience (laughs) because we need to not be the pursuers the men are the ones who are the pursuers so women we very often we want to get things done we want to move along we're interested let's go but that's you know that's not the role that God has given us. And so we, when we see a godly man that seems like, you know, this would be a great guy to, to get to know, you, you be available, you know, talk to him when he talks to you, kind of, you know, logical stuff, but really pray for patience and that your desires and emotions wouldn't run away with you and that God would give you a lot of wisdom about approaching that because, you know, marriage is a big deal. It's, it's forever. It's not a just, you know, let me try this out situation. So it should be something that's approached with a lot of prayer and logical thinking, believe it or not. Yeah. I like, you know, with God's sovereignty, we are not completely passive, but we don't flip to the other side of being aggressive in this pursuit of marriage. I think, you know, there's a balance there of doing what you can to, like you said, make yourself available, be friendly with everyone, talk to guys, but don't be asking them out or initiating that. And I think a good rule of thumb to remember is whatever level of aggressiveness you begin a relationship with is what you will need to maintain to keep that relationship. So if that's, not your personality to be the aggressor. Um, and you're trying because you think that's the only way you're going to meet a guy and get married. Just keep that in mind. Like that's, that's going to be a tough standard to maintain and you don't want to be wearing the pants in your relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say when I was single, one of the things that I would think often was I want a man who has enough leadership that he will come after me and choose me. I want to be purposely chosen, which I think that's one of those things that's really hard when you're waiting for someone to come along. It, it takes a lot of patience and, and not letting that desperation rise up within you and think, oh, I have to grab at this chance, but really trusting, you know, God knows what he's doing and he'll bring a husband to me if it's in his will And, you know, a godly man is one who is going to pursue. He, he's going to have the character that you're going to want. That's very true. Another aspect that I think this understanding God's sovereignty changes uh, when you're looking for a husband is you're able to let go a little bit of, if you have really tight parameters on your preferences for a guy. Um, and I say preferences, you know, not anything that are important make or break character qualities, but maybe more having to do with looks or job or, you know, those types of things. When you understand that God knows everything is all powerful and he knows what's best for you, you're going to be willing to hold those things with open hands before him. And I'm sure there's many women that in their single years had a certain ideal 
in their head. And I've heard it so many times over, they marry someone that was very different, but they couldn't imagine anybody else being more suited to them. So yeah, understanding God's sovereignty helps you to not just have those tight preferences for the guy that you're interested in. Absolutely. And I will say the sooner you can let those things go, the better, because looks are going to change. Jobs are going to change. Even, you know, activities they may like to do that can change, but character is what stays the same. You know, that's the thing to be looking at. And that's the thing that God's going to be working on. You know, he sees a man's heart. We don't. So it's really important Again, you trust in God. It's sort of like when Samuel went to anoint David and Samuel saw his oldest brothers went through all of them. And God said, you know, I see what's in a man's heart. I don't look at the outward appearance. And he's taken the same approach to getting a good husband for you. (laughs) He sees the man's heart. Yes. Marriage is such a huge step, such a life altering thing that you want God to help pick that man for you and you want to trust him in that. And the the inside is the thing that does not change. Okay. So the next question here, how does God's sovereignty help you accept the things about your life that you wish were different? So these things are, you know, where you were born, the family you were born into, the personality you have, the physical features you have, certain things that you wish you can change. I just have a couple notes here that I want to share. And I think it comes down to understanding that all of these things were chosen for you by an all wise, loving father. And he has a specific role and story for your life. If you're really discontent with your life circumstances, I would encourage you to really evaluate if you really have lordship salvation, if you are bought with a price, you are not your own. The Lord owns your life. He has a role and a plan that he is weaving together with every life in human history into this tapestry, this master plan. And he chose those things for you. So understanding that living as best you can with what he's given you to do, really taking up the call and doing your best to live that role to your fullest, you know, just the idea that he must increase, I must decrease. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but yeah, it makes me think of the story of Job. You know, Job was a wealthy man. He had it all. He had lots of kids. And when we get a glimpse into the background, you know, Satan is coming to God and God says, have you seen my servant Job? And then we see how all of that gets taken away from Job. He loses all of his livestock, his kids. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then it's not done yet. (laughs) Then uh, Satan strikes him with boils and his and Job's wife says, you know, curse God and die. Just get it over with. And Job says, you know, Should we not accept both good and bad from God? They both come from God. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, I mean, he seemed to understand that everything we have in life is from God. You know, we may, again, 
look at it as this is a terrible situation, things that happened in my past, why did they happen? But God, he's got that big picture perspective again. You know, as you mentioned, he's weaving together that tapestry. And Job in the end of the book, he doesn't get the answer of why this happens to him. He just learns that God is God and God is sovereign. And and so at the end, Job says, you know what? I, I cover my mouth because that's what it all comes down to in the end. That's what it all comes down to. God is sovereign. And don't forget those verses that God says, I will accomplish my purposes. We may not know what those purposes are, but we can be certain that they're right and good and therefore his glory, because it's not about our glory. It's for his glory in the end. And that's a great segue into the next question here. How do you view regrets in the past in light of God's sovereignty and move forward with hope? So regrets, maybe past sin, failure, or even just things like maybe you passed up a guy who turned out to be really good candidate for a husband. I don't know. (laughs) So how do we view those things? in light of God's sovereignty and not get bogged down in regret, but move forward in hope? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think when we we think about regrets, past mistakes, past sins, we have to consider God's wonderful attributes, you know, sovereignty being first and foremost, but then also remembering his providence, his omniscience, his mercy. And just in thinking about his omniscience, I know I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, but it just brings to mind that God is all-knowing. Therefore, he is not surprised by anything. He isn't caught off guard by anything. So you cannot mess up his plans. Even if you tried, you cannot mess up his plans. Think about Jonah. You know, (laughs) Jonah wanted to go a whole other direction from where he was supposed to go. But you know, God is sovereign and he did the storm. He had the sailors throw Jonah overboard. He got the big fish, you know, all stuff we look at and we think, wow, that's kind of crazy story, but it's a great picture of we cannot mess up God's plans. You know, I may have stuff that I regret in my past, but God allowed it, whatever the reason might be, because he is sovereign and he can allow things. He can ordain things. Yeah. And so we need to look at that and say, God is good. God is right. If I did something wrong and sinful, he is merciful and forgiving. And I need to remind myself of that, not take advantage of it, but remind myself that, that he will show mercy to who he will show mercy. Yeah. And God is a God of redemption and new beginnings. And that's what he is really good at. (laughs) And what he delights to do is to take a sinner and transform them, redeem them by his grace. And when we look back at our past failures, we learn from those. I think there's a lot of proverbs about fools that do not learn and they repeat the same sin. But as Christians, we learn from that. And also, you know, you don't have the attitude that, well, God's going to work all things together for good anyway. So you just don't put any effort into growth from learning from a past mistake, but you do, you gain wisdom from those experiences. You had mentioned, you know, past regrets, like passing the guy who might've been a great guy. Again, 
you know, if God wants you married to that guy, he can make it happen. You may look at him and be like, oh, it's, it's a missed opportunity, but maybe God has something better in mind. I mean, we can't know his mind, but I would say in those situations, just know that if it is God's will, he is going to accomplish it. He does all that he pleases. And if it's going to glorify him and please him, he'll make it happen. Again, that is trusting and resting in God's sovereignty. And, you know, I often, people who have different types of paths and failures, God is able to redeem that and use it. I'm thinking of a few friends who have just really unique and hard paths, but God has used their lives to influence so many other women from similar backgrounds. And so they're able to comfort and encourage in a way that I wouldn't be able to. So God can redeem the past. And also if you're caught up in any guilt and shame, you know, just understand that God doesn't dwell on that. And his opinion is the only one that matters. And he's redeemed you. He's washed you with his blood and you can move forward with hope. What are examples of an improper response to God's sovereignty? Right. So this is where you can get some of those extremes. You know, a definitely improper reaction would be, great, I don't need to do anything now. I have no responsibility whatsoever. Again, we've mentioned you have responsibility. You know, you're not just let off the hook <laughs> in situations. And you can't take on that fatalistic attitude either of like, well, what's going to happen is going to happen. You know, what I do is not going to affect anything. No, no. You know, what you do is going to affect things. You have a brain. You can make choices. It's all right there. Um, And then I think I mentioned earlier, another improper reaction would be to say, oh, God knows everything. I don't need to pray. You know, no, don't, don't do that. Prayer is beautiful and wonderful. Don't ever give that up. You know, scripture says to pray without ceasing. It is so good for your soul. <laughs> so you definitely, you don't want to go to those extremes of the reaction for sure. Yeah. Not using it as a crutch to just think, you know, I can stay home all day and God is going to bring a husband. If he's going to bring a husband and he's going to knock on my door and say, here I am, you know? So yeah, God did give us a brain and he gave us his word to learn wisdom from. And so he expects us to use those things. And there's so many passages in scripture about being a steward of what God has entrusted to you. And so I think it comes back to stewardship. Are you stewarding the knowledge you have from God's word, the um, gifts he's given you, understanding that and that you'll give an account to the Lord for that will help you not be so complacent in your life. Yeah. And that makes me think of, you know, the famous Westminster Catechism question, what is the chief end of man? To enjoy God and glorify him always. That's your goal. That's what you need to be focused on. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my last question here, if there's women who want to do a little more further study, are there resources that you would recommend on God's sovereignty? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, uh, A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God, title kind of says it all. And that book will cover so many aspects that you probably never even thought of before. But it's, it's really good, deep thinking material. I like, I like that type of stuff. And scripture, you know, 
go into scripture looking for what scripture says about who God is. There is so much wonderful stuff in there. (laughs) It's so good. And I would also say, you know, talk to your pastor, talk to your elders, have them help you get to a deeper understanding. All those are wonderful resources. Yes. And, you know, an area that we did not cover, but is a huge part of God's sovereignty is salvation and in choosing an election. So I would encourage any of our listeners to really study up on that because that brings a lot of comfort too. If you're one to doubt your salvation, understanding sovereignty and election is going to change your heart in a lot of those ways. Once again, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, you need to soak your soul in this truth and this attribute of God and understand this, and it will change your thoughts about a lot of things. And you're going to have joy and peace that God gives you. And that's really where that comes from is understanding more about God, uh, more about who he is. And that's where that peace and joy comes from. So thank you, Jennifer, so much for never, we never met, but you are so gracious to take on the challenge of this big topic. But I do hope that the listeners come away more confident in their life, more ready to smile at the future because God is sovereignly orchestrating all of the events of their life to a good end. And we have a lot to look forward to when we view life like that. Amen. Thanks for asking me. It's been my pleasure. 